You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Today, we're going to touch on the first letter of John, so, which is 1 John. Um, it was written about 60, 60 A.D., some say as late as 85 A.D. So John was really old when he wrote this. Sorry, Ada, he's about your age. <laughs> so, but you know, he had seen a lot. He'd seen a lot of persecution. And he'd seen a lot of hardship and strife. But he also, in the exact same time, saw a church begin to explode when it was being resisted, when it was being pressured. And so he's writing to his believers, though, they're a little bit beaten down. They're a little tired. And they're starting to have some doubts, and there's been some questionable teaching with them. And he's wanting them to get over these doubts and to abide in the light. And he's reminding them of the wonders of Jesus. You know, what I really notice is the energy, when you read these passages, especially in this letter, John's energy and excitement, it really seems to just flow from his heart. And you get a sense he's just as excited then when he's writing this as he was to see an empty grave 60 years earlier. And I feel that excitement when I read John, especially his letters. It's something exciting. So let's start with John 1. We're just going to do the first couple of verses. So starting in verse 1, and it says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now, it sounds a little clumsy. If you take verse 2 and put it in parentheses, it makes more sense. Because that's a parenthetical phrase there. So it kind of goes like from, we looked and touched concerning the word of life, then we jumped to verse 3. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These, thing, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Now, it opens with that phrase, what was from the beginning? And it actually is in contrast to, to the Gospel of John 1.1 1, 1, that says, in the beginning. You see, in the, the Gospel of John, it, we're taken past creation and we're gazing at the word with God, face to face with the Father, and then into the eternity of, in the infinity of the word being God. So the gospel of John is to believe and believe in Jesus Christ and to be saved. This one is written to believers, to people that believe in Jesus, that they may know eternal life, a present life, in Christ's indwelling, that, that, is, that, that the light is made real in their lives. So, the, so instead of taking us beyond the creation, he starts there and moves back to the incarnation. And so 
the word became the word of life. So when you read that, you see the word of life. It's the incarnation. The manifestation of the Father is Jesus Christ. So, what I like that though, is, is I get the, whenever time I see the word incarnation, I get a picture of Bethlehem. I get a picture of a baby wrapped in strips, strips of cloth and angels filling the skies, singing glory to God in highest and peace to men on earth. So he's taken us from creation to that moment. What, that which was from the beginning. Then John goes on to remind us that he heard Jesus speak, that they watched everything he did. Yeah, with his own eyeballs is kind of what it says. And they were locked on him. And it says we touched him. We, you know, they kissed him. They hugged him. They walked with their arms around him. They, John said, we heard. You realize John was with, by the way, John was with Jesus from the baptism to the ascension. We almost forget the length of time. That was over three years he was with him. And John said, we heard. Now, that's an interesting word because it, it's a special word because it means to hear with his heart, to hear it with his mind, and to hear it in a way that it causes his obedient submission into the Father's goodness. So he didn't hear about, he heard. And the verb tense says that John, now 60 years later, is still hearing. That Jesus' words are still ringing in his, his ears. Every word, every nuance. John remembers those private times, those times around a fire or around a meal. He remembers the throngs of people that would come to see him. And he remembers what Jesus said to all of them. He still remembers when Jesus said, he said, what do you seek? The very first time he met him. And he remembers him saying, because he was there, it is finished, when he gave up his spirit. It says he had seen with his eyes. And if you look at that, it says, it says you know, these images are burned in his, his memory, but it's more than that. It says, seen with eyes and looked upon. So this, is, this moves to more, of an, more than an eyewitness. This is a depth of intimacy. This means he gazed, that looked upon us, gazed into the, the face of Jesus. I mean, he was studying his face, that gentle face. He could recognize Jesus just from his walk. He knew that, he knew that certain look when Jesus was, was uh, teasing with Peter. Because you know everybody had to tease with Peter. He saw him grinning from ear to ear with lepers that were healed. That he was just so, so joyful. He saw his tears at the tomb of Lazarus. And the amazing, peaceful, welcoming eyes of the risen Christ. He, he had gazed into the face of beauty and love and had seen God's smile of invitation. John touched Jesus. At the Last Supper, he rested his head on his chest. But the word touched here is the exact same language that Luke uses in, when, he, when he describes the resurrection in chapter 24, 39. Let me just read it. It says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. 
At first, it may have been a tentative touch, maybe a poke. Then, it was a hug and a kiss because their master had risen. The Lord had risen. And they touched him all right. John hugged and kissed the one who is dead and now lives. I also love the way Peter speaks to his witness. If you look in 2 Peter 1, uh, just verses 16 through 18, I'm going to read this one for you. I really like this one. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So we see two events. He was there at the baptism. He heard the Father's voice. But he's also on the sacred mountain at the transfiguration when he heard the Father's voice. So this is Peter saying, you know, fellows, when you hear God talking about it, you might want to pay attention. And so that was his witness. But it goes on. Verse 1 goes on and says, concerning the word of life. This is really a beautiful word. It's the logos of life. Greek, word for, uh, Greek for word is logos. But logos goes way deeper than, than just word or the word's definition. It goes into the entire thought process and outcome of the reason and the logic into the thought, which is then translated into language and spoken. That sounds kind of complicated, but, but the, in Greek, the Ten Commandments are called the Decalogi, which is the ten words. Well, we know it's more than one word. It, you know, sometimes we have a hard time capturing how the Ten Commandments are really a gift of the heart of God to us and how he's, he's giving his love through those words. So there's a whole lot there. It, I mean, I think it's really just hard to get, get our mind around just one word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's what he's saying here. This is the word, which, which, and it says, made life. And for life, it used Zoe. Some might have a grandchild by that name. Whoa. But that's, that's the fullness of life. That's the vitality of life. That's the fullness of expression of life. So they have bios to just mean it's alive. But Zoe is a more active, animated, excited feature. So what it says is, we have the mind, the reason, and the heart of God, the logos manifested in life. And he chose to manifest it as the fullness of human life. The ideas, concepts, philosophies, and power of God are living and speaking in Jesus Christ. The infinite became finite. John's saying that he and the other apostles fully experienced the one from the Father, the Son of God made man. The word that was with God, the word that who is God, has become the word of life that is Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. The essence of righteousness and love, the moral and spiritual effect of the Godhead is incarnated in the person of Jesus. The Son of God is brought to light, which is another word for manifested, is brought to light in humanity, fully human. Amen. Yes. 
John says they are proclaiming the eternal life. If, now, it's important because it says the eternal life which was with the Father. And that word-for-word -word translation is the life, the eternal, which is, it's a name for Jesus. So it says Jesus is the life, the eternal. So when he's talking about that, the, that the, the manifestation of the eternal life, it's the person. It's not a description. And John repeats that word manifested multiple times in the same sentence. Because he's wanting to make sure we understand that this is not a great teacher. This is not a great prophet. This is the manifestation of his deity with the Father. Amen. John then proclaims an amazing invitation to have fellowship with the eternal life that was with the Father, is now returned to the Father, and now through him to have fellowship with the Father. John says, we have heard, seen, and touched, and lived with the Son of God, who invites us into his logos of Zoe, his, his word of life, eternal and righteous, united with the Father. And this is complete joy. That's pretty powerful. You see, John's reminding his readers, then and now, what stirred our faith in the beginning? And what stirred our faith, it was the testimony of the saints as eyewitnesses. That's what stirred it. You know, after Christ died, there wasn't a Christian. They, th they all thought it was lost. They thought something terrible had gone wrong. They, they were in hiding. They no longer thought, even though they were starting to believe him, that Jesus was who he was. But then he rose. Yeah. And that totally blows them away. Because up to that point, it was devastation. Now it's elation. They saw the living, breathing Messiah. And that changed everything. That's why they changed the, 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 the calendar. You know, before, after. And so we're reminded that we don't believe in Jesus for the purpose to get to heaven. We believe it because it's true. And we have good evidence that it is true. It's reliable evidence. You know, Jesus said multiple times in John 10, he talks about this and said to the, the, the Pharisees, if you don't believe me, believe my works. Then, he, then he's with his apostles in chapter 14. And he says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And then there's old Philip going, we'll just show us the Father and we'll feel pretty good about that. And he goes, Philip, Philip, you don't get this, do you? And so if you pick up in John 14, 10, it says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, not my own authority. Rather, it's the, it is the Father living in me who do, is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. See, that's what stirs us and the Holy Spirit fills us with the rest. But I had to come back to these verses recently. 
I'm going to tell you, I had to realign my heart, my focus, just like John did for his first century believers. You know, the news of this nation, this six months of sickness, and I, I say it's both emotional sickness and physical sickness, We've got this ugly politics going on. We've got these uprisings going on. And, and so, so little of it solution-based. And it's taken a toll on my heart and my direction. Yeah. I got into Revelation chapters 4 and 5, and they were wonderful. And they really showed me the majesty of God. And it showed me the sovereignty of God. But I've got to tell you this. This little book pours all the truths of heaven into a person, Jesus Christ, who's risen. God made man. And it reminds me that that man, Jesus, he also hears us. He also sees us with his own eyes and he gazes into our faces and he touches us yes. with his own hands. You know, in only four verses, you see seen three times. You see, heard two times. You see, manifested two times. Proclaimed two times. And I'm telling you, it's time that we have, for us that have seen and heard to testify and proclaim. Yes. We've had our own encounters. And we have our own stories to tell. We have testimonies. And I'm going to say this. For those of you that don't think you have important testimonies, your testimony is vital. It's important. It's life-saving. And it's real. And you can clearly combine that with, with others' te testimonies and, and the testimonies of the, of the scriptures. But we have got to start back and get off the sidelines and re-engage. I think we've been on the sidelines now for six weeks or six months. We've had COVID-itis on us. You know, I, I think, my wife and I have talked about this. I think that's the reason he, he made provision for me to go back to work part-time. Because he felt like I needed to get out of that little office and out of my house and be with people again and start proclaiming. Amen. And things are starting to happen again. All of us have a circle of people that we're around. Most of us go to the same stores and we run to the same people. We go to the same workplace. We, go, we have people that we can be given testimony, both with the way we act and what we say and how we handle things. I, for one, heard someone talk a lot about patience the other day. And I'm going to tell you, I went back to work and had to reevaluate my patience. <laughs> because, you, you know, when you go back, especially when you set up all the systems and then when they're changed, you're like, what? Who did that? So, you know, John's reminding his believers what they already know. That's what he's doing. And why they became believers in the beginning. You know, real people saw a real living Christ in victory. And I have to be admit, I have to admit something. I've been part of that crowd that's kind of been complaining about the government closing churches and how it's unconstitutional to restrict our, our worship and so forth. I'm going to just say something. I, I had to repent on this. If the only reason that we can find to open our doors is because it's legal and it's our constitutional right, lock it up and throw away the key. We should be talking about how our community needs us and why we have to be open.
We should be talking about how we're a field hospital for those that get beaten down by this world. And how we're an oasis of peace and love that they can find nowhere else and there's no substitute. That we, this is a place indwelled by the Holy Spirit, indwelled by the sons and daughters of God that, that activates healing and, and transformation and change that the community needs. We, we open, we're opening our doors because we're the people of God. And Jesus is extending an invitation to us right this minute, an invitation to redirect, to refocus, and to be a joy, to be light, to be love, and to be an extension of him. Then John finally in, in chapter 5 tells us why he actually wrote the book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you, that you may have eternal life. That's, that's eternal life that begins on the day you believe. And that we've changed and we're transformed on the day we believed. And we are not going to sit and be quiet about it. I hear Jesus saying the time has come to move from mourning into joy. From, from coping into flourishing and to move with the banner of faith, hope, and love, extending an invitation of life to others. The first epistle of John is only five chapters. And I'm inviting everyone that hears me, here and at home, to read a chapter a day with your family this week. I'm really encouraging you. Early on, when we had the opening, for those that were here on time, Linda mentioned, Linda mentioned reading. I, Psalms is good. I think that maybe for a recharge, you might want to step into 1 John and read a chapter a day. Start today with chapter 1. You know, I'm doing more than just saying, that's not, I'm not, it's not an invitation. I'm telling you to do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, strongly, I'm strongly encouraging you. Because I'm going to tell you by the end, by next weekend, you'll be changed. You will be changed. Because you'll hear an exciting voice of John speak of life, love, and light. And it's only found in Jesus Christ. You know, I see John as a real wise coach. You know, he's lo he looks at his team, this is a basketball coach. He looks at his team and he sees their body language. He sees them walking around like this. And he, he has to call time out to talk to them. And that's what this letter is. And what a coach reminds him of, of everything it took for you to get to this place. You tell that team, think about all the hours you practiced to be here today. Think of all that you've been through to be here today. And that's what he does. And then he tells them, get back to basics. And if you're a basketball coach, you're saying, play some defense, block somebody out, and someone get open. Stop running plays and start making plays. That's right. So that's what he's doing to us. He's telling us to get back to the ABCs of our faith. Why do we get fired up? Jesus rose is why we got fired up. That's our ABCs. That's the DEF. And, and we already know the story. It's we win in Christ. We've read the end of the book. So today, as we go to take communion, I'd like us to kind of get very deep into the very day that Jesus had his last meal before his death on the cross. And it's time to reaffirm our covenant in Christ that was sealed by the blood of Christ. So, 
If you haven't got one, I'll give you a couple of minutes. They're in the back real quick. Because I knew that there'd be at least one or two. See, Kathleen got here 20 minutes early, and now she's just getting communion. I only tease. Now, Kathleen, she almost never misses a Bible study. And she hardly says anything, but she just giggles all the time. <laughs> she's a piece of work. We love her. All right. So if you get the little cellophane thing on the top, sometimes it's hard to see. Lift it off, and then out comes what I call the host. This is the body of Christ. This is the body that, that became the incarnate body of Christ. That God became man. And this body carried God. And God, this body walked in righteousness and showed us the life that we are to live. This body then was attacked brutally for us. This body is our body as we take this today. Because we, we are accepting this covenant that we will walk as he walked and take the steps that he puts in front of us. And we will walk as sons and daughters of Christ. In Jesus' name. And then the blood. Representing the very life of Christ as we take this. All of us have been born again. As we take this, we're reminded of that covenant that we came into that very day that we said yes to Jesus. We're reminded that it was his blood that sealed that covenant. That he had forgiven us. So that day on the cross, he had forgiven us. But we came into relationship through his blood, the blood of his covenant. And we're receiving it today. It's power. This is what transforms us. This is what changes us. This is what heals us. This is what makes us grow into who we are as children and, of Christ. Sons and daughters of the Most High. That the life of Christ that he spilled is now the life that stimulates us to be who we are in Jesus' name. I just uh, want to close and say, don't send the old man back to the car business. He gets a little fired up. <laughs> I just want to say that today when we go to pray with each other, be encouraging to one another about how we can witness. Because everyone does it differently because you're all different people. And God has got, given you each different gifts to express that. So for some people, it's street corner evangelism. For most of us, we wouldn't do that. I mean, if you paid us. But we have communities of people. We have family members. We have coworkers. And be praying about this weekend, who is it you want to see maybe on Monday and say something very special that releases something of God. Be thinking about that today. And I just ask the Lord to bless you because what you're going to find is that your faith deepens every time you speak to someone. 
Because you say out loud what you believe is true, it makes it so much more powerful in your own heart. The benefit you re I think that's the reason Jesus made us do this. Because he, he could have easily said, go spread the gospel, and if, and if you can't, I'll cover for you. But he knows he made you for this specific purpose. And, he, and you glorify him by walking in how he created you. So let's, let's be praying for each other that we all can learn to walk in how we're created in the way that, that, that we're suited for. So I want to thank you today. Rick has a closing prayer. And so, and remember today's food pantry, but we do have enough workers, right? So we have enough workers for, please be praying for our food pantry that we, so we can impact the people in our community. Yes. Yes. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.